Today to the Gospels. We'll read from both Matthew and Mark. The if word. Sharing a message of introduction last Sunday morning about the condition connection between the if and the promise. Almost always, built into the promises of God is a condition, a human condition to be met. Almost always with the if, immediately follows in that verse, and I will. God says if that human condition is met, there is a divine promise that will be fulfilled. If you will, I will. We want to, by the help of God during this series, emphasize the positive side of what we're looking to receive from God. I am persuaded always that there is a price tag moment when we are confronted with truth in Scripture. We have to assess the value of the thing to be received and then be willing to make the investment to make that promise ours. If we're only going to emphasize the condition, I think we miss the whole point of what God is trying to say to us. We have to provide that if you meet the condition, they can be yours. They can operate within you and through you. So I want us to look for that. I want us to listen for that, not just the negative side or that conditional side, although that's extremely important and it's preliminary. I think it has to come first. If we'll meet that condition, God will marvelously and wonderfully perform His promise. That's what we're looking for. That's the end result. And I think if we see the possibilities of what God promises, then we're willing to make the investment to make that our own. Today, we have a tough one. This is a difficult one. It's not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to implement. It's something perhaps that we are so very familiar with. It's not complicated at all. I believe the instructions of the Lord are simple enough that a child could follow them. It's not very deep or difficult. It's not something that we're not familiar with, but perhaps this above everything else is the one area of our Christian lives that we disobey the Lord most about, that we're not very good at following His orders or His instructions or meeting the human condition in order to experience the divine promise. It's the if of forgiveness it's the if of restoring broken relationships. It's the if of managing crisis and conflict. And the Word of God has some very specific things to say, and there are specific conditions to be met that are connected to some of the most powerful promises anywhere in the Word of God. There is those, are those if conditions or if clauses that uh, shout to us of choice. And they're not forced upon us. 
We can choose either to follow the instructions or disregard those instructions. The choice is ours always with that if clause in Scripture. We can accept it from God in obedience, move forward, or we can turn a deaf ear to it and uh, continue on the way we have. And it is really a choice that we have to make as we are exposed to the Word. Mark chapter 11, verse 25 in the NIV combines two verses King James put together. So I have them. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screen behind me. Mark 11:25 in the NIV says, And when you are stand, or stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. Now that translation excludes an if clause, so I'm going to give you King James, same passage, now verses 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, your Father also which is in heaven, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. It's amazing to me how often in Scripture there is a connection between our horizontal relationships and our vertical relationship. They are almost always linked together, and it's impossible for us just simply spiritually to relate to God and disregard horizontal relationships because they are vitally connected. That if word binds those two together, and we'll see it often in the passages that we will share with you this morning. Having to do with our looking to God, praying, that exercise of worship and petition, intercession, if we understand that there is something in our heart against another person, we are to forgive them. And Tied completely to that is an if we fail to obey that instruction, we lose a very vital part of our vertical relationship with God. So we lose our forgiveness, our relationship and fellowship with God is very damaged by our failure to rectify broken relationships horizontally. The Bible says, how can I say I love God whom I have not seen and hate my brother whom I have seen? The implications of that statement is it's impossible for us to be in love relationship with God our Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ and not be in right relationship with brothers and sisters of the family of God, joint members of the same body of which Jesus Christ is the head. We can't have the head without the body because he is vitally connected to that body. It's important for us to realize that the promises that flow out of this constantly carry with them the implications of our relationship horizontally with each other and to appreciate the fact in verses that we'll share together in just a moment in prayer, 
and wanting to receive answers from God in our times of need for ourselves and others, it is connected to our agreement with and coming together with others. We love to quote that verse, where two or three come together in my name, there am I in the midst. And usually it's in the context of we've come from our homes, we've each gotten in our own cars and come to a common location and walk through the same foyer doors and into the same auditorium and thinking in terms that that verse of Scripture means if we can get everybody in one room, then Jesus will show up. But as we examine the context of that Scripture, that is not a valid interpretation of that verse of Scripture. The implication of bringing people together is strongly suggested that they have come apart. And those people who have come apart need to come together. How many know that you can come into the same room and not be together. You can be sitting in the same pew and be distance from each other. So it's not in one place. He's not saying just because you get people physically in a congregation together, two or three or more people coming together physically that Jesus is going to show up. The presence of God is vitally linked to those people who have come apart that get back together then he'll show up. Then the presence of God, which we vitally need and earnestly covet and desire, he'll come when we are not only in one place, but in one accord. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, when the early church came together waiting on God, they were in one place and one accord. And the rushing mighty wind from heaven filled the place where they were sitting and cloven tongues like fire descended upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were in not only one place, but they were in one accord. It's tremendously important this morning that we come together. Only if we want His presence. Only if we want His presence. If His presence is worth it, we'll make the investment. If we value and treasure his presence, then it will be very important for us to make the investment, whatever that is, to meet the human conditions so that we can experience the divine promise. That's it. Now let's go back just for a moment to the first verses that I quoted there or read to you from Matthew 11:25, And it's important for us to know the how-to of the healing of broken relationships. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, you forgive them. Now, in the verses we'll look at later, it'll say you go to them. How do you know when to go, when not to go? Let me illustrate this. If I have something in my heart, when I stand praying and the Holy Spirit causes me to be aware of and acknowledge that I have something in my heart, then I am instructed by Jesus to do what? Forgive them. It's only in my heart. No one else knows except me and God, and so I simply square that with him while I'm standing and praying. I can ask him to please forgive me and wash it from my soul. 
It's not necessary. You see, if I have something against Mark D, God forbid, how could you? Look at this face. Could anybody have anything? Could you possibly not love this man? I mean, how could you have anything in your heart? But if I should, and he doesn't know it, and I feel like the way to correct this is I've got to go and say, Mark, you know what? I need to ask you to forgive me because I haven't liked you. I, I just haven't liked you, Mark. I don't like the way you tie your tie. I don't like the way you comb your hair. I just haven't liked you, and you need to forgive me. What have I done? Have I corrected the problem? I've created a problem. If it was in just my heart and he didn't know it was there, then I just simply... <laughs> I got something against you, Mark. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> you understand, if he doesn't know it's in my heart and I'm sharing with him unnecessary information I have created, he's already beginning to say, what's not to like? I can't, I can't envision. You know, I'm, maybe there are other people that don't like me and, and there is created a problem, not correcting a problem, so I don't need to do that. But you see, if we have had a situation where he knows there's a problem, and you know, you need to know something. Conflict, to live is to experience conflict. It is inevitable and it is normal. Bitterness and resentment are optional. Conflict is inevitable. Bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness is optional. You will come into conflict. There will be times when you are misunderstood. There are times when you will be slighted or wounded. That's going to happen. You can't live in community and not experience conflict. It's impossible. Jesus knew that. Bitterness, resentments, grudges, and moods are optional. That's a choice we make, how to handle what to do with conflict that when they come. And only if we want God's presence, only if we want what we do for God to count, will we make the investment to do what God says to do about them. If I have had conflict with Mark, he knows it. And I'm standing and praying and I feel this and I acknowledge this and I ask God to forgive me and he will. That's only half of what I need to do. He knows that. You see, it might be clear between me and God, but he doesn't know that, and so he's still living under the last experience of his knowledge to my life. And so now that he knows and there has been open conflict with us, I need to now go to him and say to him, Mark, you know, we've had some conflict and difficulties, and the Holy Spirit has dealt with my heart. And I want you to know, Mark, that I've asked God to forgive me, and I'm asking you to forgive me because I want us to be in harmony and unity with God. What have I done? I've taken care of my spiritual problem first, and then I've taken care of my brotherly problem second. He knows there was conflict. And so as long as it's unresolved between us, I can do what I need to do, and I should do that first between me and God. But I still have an obligation to my brother so that he knows there is, there is clarity between us and our relationship and so that we can function in harmony together 
and come into the presence of God. We, we who have come apart now have come together. Jesus will show up. If you have ever done that in your Christian experience, you have experienced in that moment a dynamic presence of God. I promise you, if you will follow that scriptural pattern, you won't be in church perhaps, but you will have church because you have followed God's word and obedience in any time any time you act in responsive obedience to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the blessing of God will follow it. The blessing of God is inevitable. It will follow it. So there is a principle that flows, an if that flows directly from the Word of God to us. If we want His presence and answers to prayer, the problem of conflict is inevitable, normal, Resentment and bitterness are optional. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 in the NIV, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This is extremely important. We have a free order of worship. We are not a liturgical church, and yet we have an order of service. Pretty much the same order of service. And the reason we do what we do is because we feel like we've extracted from the scriptures principles that are important when we come together. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Come before his presence with singing. So we do that. We begin the service that way because that is a call to worship that comes to us right out of the scriptures. And then he says that we are to, on the first day of the week, lay in store as God has prospered us. So we receive an offering that uh, during the service because that comes right out of the scriptures. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And so we worship him by clapping our hands. I would that all men everywhere would worship him, raising up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so we do that. It comes right out of the scriptures. It's not just some idea or some traditional thing that someone thought might be a nice idea, but we do that because the scripture instructs us to do that. And so there is an order to what we're doing, and we have extracted from the scriptures those principles that we feel are necessary for us entering corporately to worship God. If Jesus were to write our order of worship, what would he put first? I think I know. I think he tells us. He said, when you come to offer your gift, whatever that gift might be, first order of service. If there's something in our heart against our brother or our brother against us, leave your gift. First go, then come after you have been reconciled. Why would that be primary? Why would that be chronologically first and in the order of importance first? Because, let me give you a principle. Write it down if you're taking notes. The acceptability of any gift is directly dependent upon the acceptability of the giver. 
I'm going to repeat that. The acceptability of any gift, as far as God is concerned, is directly dependent upon the acceptability of the giver. It is a fallacy to think God will just be thrilled with anything you give him. That is not true. We'll talk about that next week. There's an if in what God accepts. Some of the greatest judgment that fell on the church came at the offering time. Let me tell you, Ananias and Sapphira stand to witness to us this morning the acceptability of the giver is more important than how large the gift. Any gift is not just a mechanical thing that has, has no human condition to be met. He said, leave your gift. You see, if I am not acceptable, nothing I do for God is acceptable. Listen to me. If I am not acceptable to God, nothing I do for God is acceptable. So whatever I do from that point on is not acceptable to God anyway. So first get that taken care of. Then whatever you have to offer will be acceptable because you have been made acceptable to God. So he said, first, take care of this. You see, it's not a matter of talent. It's not a matter of skill or ability or, or, or eloquence or anything that has to do with training. It has to do with men looking on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And what might be acceptable to man and even applauded by man or praised by man may not at all be acceptable to God. We will receive it not necessarily God will receive it. You see, I'm giving to you my gift of preaching this morning, and God, when he looks down, will not look to see whether or not it's homiletical or whether there's alliteration or whether it's even doctrinally sound. I believe he wants to see my heart. And when the choir sings, he's not listening for perfect pitch. He's not listening for tone quality. He's not listening for breathing and phrasing. He's listening for what's in our hearts. Doesn't matter how proficient, doesn't matter how well-trained, it doesn't matter how beautiful the sound, God listens for and looks for what's invisible to man. The gift is only as acceptable as the giver. If you have a gift to give, leave. don't even give it. Don't give it until you get this straight. If you have a gift to give, leave it at the altar. Go, be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. Why? Because the gift is only acceptable when the giver is acceptable. That's a big if. That's two little letters. But what an enormous difference. If I live that way, nothing I do for God is acceptable. In the Old Testament, the priest and the Levite, as they, were, they had duties to attend in the temple, if they walked over a grave or touched a dead body, they were disqualified from ministry. They could not do anything that had to do with the temple. Until they went through a, a very strict rite of purification, they couldn't do anything in the temple. They were forbidden to minister. Why? Because they didn't have the skill? Somehow they'd lost their ability, didn't have the talent. No, because they were unclean. And until that rite of purification had taken place, they had no way 
to make an acceptable offering to God. Tiny little word, only two letters. Well, what an enormous impact it has upon what we do when we come together to lift our hands. They better be holy hands. Don't lift bloody hands in the face of God. Hands that have shed innocent blood. Don't, don't do that. I would that all men everywhere lift up holy hands without wrath. What's it? What is that? That's in the heart. That's in the spirit without wrath and doubting. That's something that's qualified, quantified on the inside. If, he said, leave that order, come back then and offer your gift. If it's caused by others, if your brother sinned against you, wait for him to come, confess his faults, no, I'm sorry. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go. Show him his fault just between the two of you. Oh, this is tremendously important. Don't involve people who can't do anything about it. Did you hear what I said? Don't involve other people who can't do anything about it even for the sake of prayer sometimes we gossip well I tell you this so you know better how to pray that's baloney that's disobedience doesn't say to do that he said you go to who you go to who to your brother not to another brother but to the brother who's done you wrong not to another brother to say, you know what's happened to me? I, I just want you to pray with me about this. That's not the instruction of the word. That is not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, it's between you and the offender. You go to him. You go directly to them. And, Lord, why? When I've wronged someone, I'm responsible to go to them. Isn't that what we just touched on? Now, he's done it to me. To be fair, he's the one supposed to come to me and make it right. Not according to Jesus. You know why he said for you to do it? Because that other person's so stubborn. No, he says... You take ownership. Every person must take ownership for unity and for harmony. And if it isn't being corrected, everybody takes ownership to make sure that we can enjoy his presence. And we have access through prayer. And the promises that flow out of harmony and unity and oneness of mind and of heart can happen. So he said, you go to that person and there be reconciled the end result is harmony of reconciliation the promise that comes from concord matthew 18 19 i tell you the truth whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven 
And I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Isn't that a tremendous promise? And we like to quote that. We like to quote that. We like the, we like the authority of that, the binding of the enemy and the loosing of our friends from their, the enemy's hole. We, we want that authority. We want that power. But you need to understand that in the context of Matthew 18 has to do with conflict management. It's not in a different setting or a different context. It's right in the flow of everything we've been talking about. The agreement that comes is as a result of people who have been in disagreement and coming together in relationship to people who have come apart. That's the whole context. So he's saying now, if people who have been in disagreement will come together in agreement, the power and the authority of God, you just can't pick up that verse and start wheeling it around as though it belongs to you without condition. There are human conditions to be met. I believe in binding and loosing. I believe that these signs shall follow them that believe they shall cast out devils in my name. I believe that there's power and authority in the name of Jesus. But that power that coming vertically is very much tied to my horizontal relationships with the body of Christ. Oh, that God would once and for all heal our sin of discrimination and prejudice in the body of Christ and that we would become one in the bonds of love. That in the church there is neither bond nor free, black or white, male or female, you are Greek. Oh, that God would help us to see, appreciate, and thank God for the differences, but in agreement together, enjoy His presence. Oh, if there's anything that God hates, it is bigotry. And wherever we need to repent this morning, I pray you won't leave this place until you do. Say, God, wash it out of my soul. Wash it away. It's so unlike God. Oh, that the Lord would perform some miracles this morning. I don't believe we could, we could hold what God would do if we'll come together, if we'll agree to agree. We'll lose some things. We're going to bind some things. We can get together, church. We can experience the authority of God. And I believe the power and authority that has been missing in the body of Christ has not so much to do between our connection with Him, but our connection with one another. And the unity and the harmony that is absolutely preliminary to any of the promises that flow out of that from
promise of concord if we'll agree. And we've touched on the presence. Verse 20, now where two or three come together in my name, there am I in the midst. Coming together strongly implies that they have come apart. Strongly implies that we've come apart. I'm just going to read the parable to you. If your Bible's open to Matthew 18, Jesus said the words that he speaks, they are spirit and they are truth and they are life. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, that was the legal limit. Jesus said, under grace, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. King James says, seventy times seven. That's the greater amount, and that's the one I hold to. I said in the early service, I switch translations depending on which one agrees with me. Seventy times seven, seventy-seven times, regardless, it doesn't matter. I believe it's important to know that under grace, we are to forgive as often as it's needed. Anybody ever ask God to forgive you for something and a day or two later, you're back saying, Lord, you know what we talked about a couple days ago? Whoops. What was his response? Sorry. No, no. If we confess our sin, as a big if, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He gives us any time forgiveness, any place forgiveness, anything forgiveness, and that's the way I've got to follow his example. Anytime people ask, any place they ask, for anything they ask, freely you have received, freely you must give. How many times? We're not keeping score as often as we need to. Because that's how often he has extended grace to us. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servant, and as he began to settle a man who owed him 10,000 talents or several million dollars was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children were all sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And you need to know a principle of forgiveness is that it'll always cost somebody something. Forgiveness is expensive. It will cost you. It costs Jesus. It will cost you something. You've got to absorb the cost. But when that servant went and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred drachma, about twenty dollars, he grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he declared. 
His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, went and told the master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's a big if. Our horizontal relationships are inexorably connect to our vertical relationship. It's impossible just to push on past that and keep on serving God. That's a big if. Our own relationship with God hinges very, very much on our relationships with each other. We can't afford the luxury of a grudge. We can't afford the luxury of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. It just is too expensive. It costs me my forgiveness. It costs me jail time. So shall your, our Heavenly Father do unto you if you from your heart do not forgive. You see, you have the power to incarcerate your brother. By an unforgiving spirit, there's nothing that he can do. He is in prison, debtor's prison. And when God puts you in jail, there's not a whole lot you can do for anybody or for God from that place. All this morning, He's got the keys to the jail. He's got the keys to the prison. It's called forgiveness. Let it go. Let the joy come. Let the peace come. Let the fellowship come. Let the presence come. Let the authority come. That's a big if. But if we'll do it, he will. He will. Father, I pray this morning that you'll help us. Holy Spirit, we've reached the limit of what we could say. We trust you to finish this morning in our spirit those things that are personal that no one but you could possibly be aware of. And I pray this morning, God, you will accomplish that purpose for which you have sent your word just like the rain and the snow. It will not return void, but will accomplish the very purpose for which it has been sent.